Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Just before we pray. You know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit invades your worship, it brings something buoyant and it fills you with joy. And other times it it does something which feels so different. And I just think this morning, you know, we've been standing on holy ground this morning. The Holy Spirit's been amongst us as we've brought our praise and our worship, but not in the sense of bringing exuberant praise and joy, but in bringing a depth in our worship, bringing a quietness in our spirits. And I don't know about you, but it just leaves you with that contented feeling. Or am I just talking for myself? Okay. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you that as we brought our praise and our worship to you this morning, you've done what you promised. You've inhabited them. You've sent your Holy Spirit amongst us. And you've already been ministering to our spirits this morning. And Father, I just want to pray that as we open your word and as we, we look at what you have to say to us this morning, that that won't stop. That your Holy Spirit will continue to quicken these things in our hearts and our minds and feed our souls. That the glory might go to Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're continuing a series of preaching that I had called Power. But I could have entitled the series something else. I could have entitled the series The Wind of God's Spirit. Because in the original Greek and Hebrew texts, the word for the wind of God, the breath of God have a meaning of air in motion. It's intended to convey something dynamic, something about God in action, about God on the move. And I'm hoping that as we look at this subject, as we learn more about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, what we will see is more about this dynamic God, the living God. Working in us and through our lives. Are we ready for that? Because that is what God is wanting to do. It's something he's always seeking to do. To do more in us. To expand our hearts and then do more through us. God at work. The living God in action. The wind of his spirit is at work in us today. And we need to have a sense of expectancy, of anticipation about what he wants to do. 
If you look at our church vision, and I paraphrase it this morning, our vision is to build a large church which is God-centred, Bible-based and spirit-filled. Our vision is to see our church members sharing about their relationship with Jesus. Our vision is to do our part in advancing God's kingdom in Doncaster and beyond. And I know that what I've mentioned there is only a part of our overall vision. But I've picked those three parts out to demonstrate something quite intentionally. The first two parts of the vision refer to all three persons of the Trinity. And if we're to fulfil the third part that I mentioned, seeing God's kingdom advance in Doncaster and beyond and doing our part in it, the missionary thrust of our church, then we need to understand the relationship between the three parts of the Trinity and how they work together. So before we start to focus on how we work in the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to spend just a moment looking at the interaction that goes on within the Trinity. And for that, I need three volunteers. Phil, come on, you can be one. Chris, come on. Both Chris's responded, so I'll have both Chris's. Can you just form a line? Okay. These three represent the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Can you get that in your mind? Father, Son, Spirit. Now, the source of everything is the Father. Okay? He is the creator. He is the sustainer. Everything comes from him. The love we see in the world, all of grace comes from him. And so, if we're going to have that in our lives, if we're going to see our lives changed and then this town impacted, then we have to recognise that first of all, that ultimately comes from the Father and from his heart. But everything comes to us through Christ. It comes to us through his redemptive work, his hanging on the cross and dying in our place. Because he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And it says in scripture, no one comes to the Father except through him. And the problem is, that although we are spirit filled by name, we can easily be tempted to operate without the third person of the spirit. And sadly, there are people and churches who do that all the time, who neglect this third person and try and go to the Father directly. But the only way our lives and the lives of those around us are going to be changed is for us to understand that everything needs to flow from the Father, through the Son, 
sorry, by the Son and through the Spirit. Okay? From the Father, by the Son and through the Spirit. Can the three of you just link hands? Now, if I now represent a fourth element, I'm representing the church. Okay? If we are going to reach the lost, we need to do it from the throne of God, through the death of Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit. And the place that I need to link into this dynamic relationship is here. I can't link in here. I can't link here. Because I'm ignoring the death of Christ, which is what gives us access to the Father. So my place is to engage with the Holy Spirit. Thank you. We can't bypass the Holy Spirit. We can't miss him out. He is an essential part of the Trinity. He's not just some crazy emphasis that we charismatics add to things to make them seem more exciting. It's not some good idea that was added by the early church to make things feel more mystical. He is a part of the person of the Trinity and he is essential. We won't get anywhere in advancing God's kingdom without the personal empowerment that he brings in our lives every day. Zechariah knew this. Before Christ walked this earth, he wrote, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And as we carry on looking at things over the next few weeks, I want you to keep that picture in your mind. The Holy Spirit is not some add-on optional extra. It is only by the power of the Spirit that our lives are changed and around us are affected. So today, I want to then lay something of a foundation for the rest of the series. I want us to look at a number of scriptures that come out of Luke and Acts. And you may remember that when we looked at the book of Acts in more detail some while ago, that Luke wrote both books. They're a bit like volume 1 and volume 2 in the same series. Acts 1.1 tells us that because he says, In my first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So volume 1... The Gospel of Luke tells us all about the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. And then in volume 2, the book of Acts, by implication, it's all about the ongoing ministry of Jesus. Through his church, in his name, by the power of his spirit. Now Luke becomes quite a commentator on the Holy Spirit. There's already about 17 references to the Holy Spirit in his Gospel, whereas the other Gospel writers typically have about 6 to 9. 
But then he goes and he adds 60 more references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And other than in Paul's writings, Luke probably tells us more about the Holy Spirit than any of the other New Testament writers. So before we look at the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I want us to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. Because although Jesus was unique, he also serves as a model for our ministry. And when we begin to do that, what we'll see is there's a link between Jesus, the Anointed One, and then in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the promise and release of that same anointing that was on Jesus coming on his church. Jesus is one with his church. He is the head and we are the body. Now I don't know about you, but I don't see many bodies going around functioning without heads. Equally, you don't see many heads getting very far without bodies. I mean, am I wrong on that? Has anyone here forgotten to bring their head with them this morning? I'm pleased about that. But that same anointing that was on the head is also on the body. The anointing of Jesus is upon his church. In our vision statement, we say we want to be a Christ-centred church. Now, Christ is not Jesus' second name. There was no Mr. and Mrs. Christ who gave birth to Jesus. Christ was a title that was given to him. And it literally means anointed one. And so if we are to be a Christ-centred church, as well as focusing on the person of Jesus, we are centering ourselves clearly around the power or anointing that rested on him. We are centred on the anointed one and on his anointing. We gather around his person. We gather in his presence and we are changed by his power. And in that process, we become an anointed community. That's what God wants. He wants every church, every local church, every believer to be anointed with the anointing of Jesus, his son. The anointing flows over and through the whole body. That anointing should be the same on all of us. It should be the same on a toe or a finger, on a nose or an ear. It should be the same on the feet as on the top of the head. And so we shouldn't as a church be having a spirit-filled bit and then the rest. All of our life together should display the anointing of God. We should be immersed in it. We should be saturated in it. We should be living in it. So what does Luke tell us? Firstly, he tells us that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. 
You can read about that in Luke 1.35. It says, And the angel answered her, talking about Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. But there's no record of Jesus as a child in the Gospels performing any miracles or preaching any great sermons. In fact, nothing really spectacular happened in his life until somewhere around the age of 30 when he went to be baptised and he went to the River Jordan and was baptised by John. And you can read about that in Luke 3.21. And it says now, when all the people were baptised and when Jesus had also been baptised and was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So here, at the age of 30, we see the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus to empower him. And if Jesus, the Son of God, needed that anointing, that anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life before he was propelled into ministry, how much more do we need it? And then as we read on, we find that Jesus is led out into the wilderness. It says he's full of the Spirit and he comes back having been out there for 40 days. And during that time he's been fasting, he's been seeking God and of course he's been tempted by the devil. But in Luke 4.14 we read, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus came back with power. He came back with the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Something about Jesus was different now. He started doing different things. Different things happened after this anointing than had before. And the same is true for us. We can do things in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can't do without it. God's presence came on Jesus and with it came God's power. And then as we read on in Luke 4, as we get to verse 16, Jesus actually tells us the purpose of it all. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That is the purpose of the anointing.
to preach the gospel, to bring freedom, to give healing, to release people from oppression and to proclaim God's favour. Do you know what the word anointing means? It means to smear, to rub on. In the summer, if you're out on a hot day and the sun's out, you might want to anoint yourself or your kids with sun cream. You smear it on, you rub it in. Anointing means having the Holy Spirit so worked into your flesh but it enables you to do things that you can't do in your own strength. Just like when you apply sun cream. There's a change. Suddenly your skin is protected from those damaging rays of the sun. And so too, when we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, we are changed. We become an anointed community as that Holy Spirit is rubbed into who we are. I think that's why the early church got the nickname of Christians. Little Christs. Mini anointed ones. Luke summed it up when he spoke of Jesus' ministry in Acts 10.38. This is what he said. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. What does Luke attribute Jesus' success to? I think it's clear. The anointing. Jesus operated under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and his power. And as a result, he went around doing good, healing the sick, bringing freedom and deliverance to people. And the great news for us is that the same power and anointing that is on the head is on the body. God has released that power to us. If you look at the miracles of Jesus and then compare them with the miracle that Peter and the other apostles demonstrated in the early church, you will see that many of them are identical. The only difference is that Jesus went to people and healed directly, whereas Peter healed people in Jesus' name. And as Peter declared Jesus' name, the same anointing was there for him as it had been for Jesus. Peter became, along with the early church, the ongoing ministry of Jesus today. So if that was the purpose, what is Luke saying about Jesus' ministry? In Luke 24:19, he describes Jesus as the ultimate prophet. He says, "About Jesus and Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people." 
Do you believe that God wants a church that is powerful in word and deed? I do. So we have Jesus, the anointed one. He makes some staggering promises to his body, the church. He's about to go to be with his father. And then there's a transfer of power that is promised to his believers. And he makes three promises. And they're all slightly different. But they are the basis of our promise in God today. Firstly, at the end of Luke's Gospel, we read that he says this. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. We are going to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come on us like a cloak. It's going to be wrapped around us. How can we affect Doncaster and the nations? Within our own power, very little. But when we are wrapped in God's power, we can accomplish great things in his name. And then the second picture is given in Acts 1, 4 and 5. And it's a picture of immersion. He said, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. That picture of John baptising people in the River Jordan must have been fresh in people's minds. It had only happened three years before. And here we see Jesus telling his disciples that they are to receive the gift that his father has promised. But the word used here is baptised, immersed. As an aside, it's because of the meaning of that word that we don't just sprinkle people with water. It means literally to plunge someone into a fluid and then take them out again. And when we baptise people, they get plunged into water and then we bring them up out again. And we all need to be baptised as believers because that is the first public sign that we have given ourselves to Jesus. But there's another kind of baptism. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's an immersion in exactly the same way. But it's not like being plunged into a pool of water. It's something far more dynamic. It's more like standing under a waterfall. The Holy Spirit drenching you from above. And we need to be continually receiving this clothing with power. This immersion from above. And then there's the third promise. 
that pulls the two things together. And we find that in Acts 1.8, where Jesus says there is to be an empowerment for mission. He says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. How are we to reach the ends of the earth? By the power of the Spirit. And so then on the day of Pentecost, we see Jesus' followers praying, seeking God, gathered together in one place. There's something about when we gather together that brings an expectation in our hearts and enables the Spirit to move. But it then goes on in that passage in Acts to say when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And there's a sense of something of timing here. It goes on to say, suddenly a sound like the blowing of wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were saying. It was the wind of God. It was God in action. He was on the move. He invaded that room and each of them saw what looked like tongues of fire. And they separated and came to rest on each of them. And it's a great picture. Wind and fire. The wind is talking about the invisible moving of God. Something which can't be seen, can't be controlled. We don't know where it's going. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know what it will do. And then the fire. Purifying, purging, burning up all the dross. You know, if you sometimes feel that you don't have a sense of God's presence in your life... It's not because God doesn't want you to have it. It's probably that you need a fresh touch of that fire in your life. The fire purifies, that sanctifies, and burns up the things in our life that stops the Holy Spirit moving. In Ephesians 4.29, it talks about our words and our attitudes. And how if we have unwholesome words and thoughts in our minds, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. We need a fresh touch of that fire in our lives so that we can live and speak with the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for that touch of fire? You know, it's not just about going out and getting it. There's a correspondence between passion and purity in our lives. There's a correspondence between that passion and purity and the power of the Spirit as well. And if we want more of that power, 
we need to be more passionate and purer. We don't earn God's spirit. It's a gift. But if we want God to work unhindered in our lives, there's a direct link between the purity of our hearts and motives and how much power God would entrust us with. And just as in that room, the Holy Spirit fell on them all individually. And God still wants to send his Holy Spirit on each and every believer. All of us, we are a candidate for receiving this power. Then in Acts 2, Luke goes on to talk about what happened to them when this wind and the fire fell. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. How full is full? Some Christians like to say things like, I know the Lord deep down in my heart. Shall I tell you what? It's no good down there. The anointing was never supposed to be just for you deep down inside. It starts in your heart, and so is your heart full of the Spirit of God. But how do you know when something is full? It's because if you pour any more in, it overflows. God wants us so full that we overflow, and everyone around us shares the blessing. Are you full? The problem is, with the church, that we are often not that full. God wants us to be people who live in the overflow. So that others around us literally catch what we've got. The people around us should be noticing the difference. When Jesus was around, people noticed. Our faith is incarnational in practice. We don't just have a dry theology. It's meant to be something that is living in us. And so when people are around us, they should notice that something is different. When people were around Jesus, things changed. There was a woman who stood near him, who just reached out and touched his robes. And instantly, she was healed, because something of the anointing on Jesus rubbed off on her. God wants us to be living in the overflow. Is that what you're doing? You may have been baptised in the Spirit some years ago. You may never have been. In which case, the good news is, you can be today. However, however much you are full of the Spirit, God wants you full to overflowing. Can you ask for that today? Can you say, do something deeper in me, because I want to be living in the overflow of your Holy Spirit.
how do we know what someone's full of? The answer's simple. Every time they open the thing that occupies the space between their nose and their chin, it comes out. The Bible told us it would. In Matthew 12 you can read, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Therefore, it shouldn't be any surprise to us that the first sign of this overflowing of God's Spirit at Pentecost, that change in the believers' lives, was that something came out of their mouth. And although it's not that the only sign, we should expect that today. When God brings that level of change in someone's life, we should expect to see it coming out of their mouth. I mean, some people do ask, can I be filled with the Spirit and not speak in tongues? Well, I mean, you can. You can, of course, receive something from God and not allow it to be fully released in your life. Whether you want the full package or not, it's up to you. But if your heart is really full to overflowing and you release it, there will be an overflow. So we receive a supernatural anointing and out of our heart comes a supernatural speech sign. It's a gift. The Bible tells us that the gift of tongues is a wonderful gift for building us up. It edifies us, it recharges our spiritual batteries. And God gave us that gift for that very reason. In 1 Corinthians 14 it says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. He edifies himself. He makes himself stronger. It's just like recharging your batteries. And so if you're feeling spiritually dry, you have the ability to recharge yourself. And the beauty of it is that the power is always turned on. God is always ready. He's always willing. And so as you start praying in the Spirit, He will refill and refresh you so that your batteries don't go flat. You never need to run out of power because God never grows weary. He never grows tired. And He's promised that. And He's promised that He will renew those who wait on Him. You can read about that in Isaiah 40, 28. And if he could do that in Isaiah's day, how much more can he do it in our day and age when the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us on a daily basis? So the gift of tongues is a precious gift for the body of Christ, for worship, for intercession and for building ourselves up. Just on a practical note, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't speak in tongues, the problem might just be a very simple one, that you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues for you. Let me let you in on the secret. He doesn't do it. You do. Some people say, I'm a bit worried that if I speak in tongues, it might be me. Personally, I'd be worried if it wasn't. 
Because if you read Acts 2, 44, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. My interpretation of that passage has to be that as they were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak. The Holy Spirit gave them the utterance, the words and the anointing, but they had to physically open their mouths. And yet some people seem to want to be filled with the Spirit and then stand here like this. It is a supernatural event, but not so supernatural that you don't have to open your mouth. Another barrier that sometimes um, is that some people keep speaking in English, but somehow expect tongues to break out at the same time. I'll tell you what, you can't do it. You just can't do it. You have to open your mouth in faith and start to articulate the words that the Holy Spirit has given you. But getting back to the outpouring. It comes as we, as a spirit-filled body, move out. Luke records Peter's sermon, which explains the significance of what happened at Pentecost. You can read that in Acts 2.14. But Peter has got up and he said, what you've just seen happen is not something weird. This is something that Joel prophesied about hundreds of years ago. And then he goes on to quote from the prophet. But he makes a few subtle changes on the way. And I just want to finish this morning by looking at the five aspects of this scripture. Because they're quite amazing. And it tells us about the outpouring of God's spirit that's upon us now. The first one is this. Joel uses the phrase, afterwards. Whereas Peter says, in the last days. Peter's making it clear that this is an end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The fact that it's end time, however, doesn't mean that we have to wait for it. The end times, biblically, are the period between when Jesus ascended to heaven, in the early chapters of Acts, and his second coming. And so we are living in the end times. We live in the age when this outpouring that Joel is describing is available. We are living in the days of the Spirit. Joel then continues that it will come about before the great and awesome day. Peter refers to the great and magnificent day of the Lord. Either way, it's going to be continuous from when Jesus left the earth physically until he comes back. And the emphasis is that the nearer the event becomes, the greater the outpouring. And for anyone here who tends to get nostalgic and look back at the past and wonder about the things that have happened in history, we should be looking forward to what's yet to come. The greatest days of the church lie ahead, not in the past. Secondly, it is a universal outpouring. 
In the Old Testament, only certain people received the Holy Spirit, and usually only for a very limited period of time. In the New Testament, that's different. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And Joel goes on to make it doubly clear that this is not restricted by age or gender. The Spirit of the Lord will be poured out on all. It will be poured out whatever their background, their educational standard, their nation. It's universal. Sons and daughters. We should be expecting to see the Spirit poured out on our children. Even five and six year olds. We should be expecting to see it amongst the teenagers and the twenties. We need to have a faith and an expectation of seeing that happen. The third is it's a prophetic anointing. Because Joel goes on to say, they will prophesy. They will see visions and dream dreams. Peter actually adds extra emphasis because he repeats, and they will prophesy. What Peter is saying to the crowd here, what you have just witnessed, the wind, the fire, these strange signs, this is all prophetic. Tongues are a part of the wider prophetic anointing. And I pray we'll see them released more and more throughout the church. And as we begin to see that, as we step out with things like treasure hunting, the thrust of this prophetic outpouring should be just like we see here in Acts. It should be in order to reach the lost. There's a continuity. The continuity between Jesus the prophet, mighty in word and deed, and the church. The church, his body, proclaiming the good news as a prophetic community. Fourthly, it is a miraculous anointing. Joel says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Peter adds, and I will show wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth below. It's an interesting change, and probably because Peter has experienced Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, walking on water, feeding multitudes, changing water into wine. And so he adds signs on the earth below. If we are a people of the Spirit, we should be living in an expectation of seeing the miraculous breakout amongst us. Jesus promised it. He said, truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. That's in John 14, 12. Are you in faith for that? He's not here this morning. But sometime ask Mark what happened on the second night that he came to an Alpha course. That sort of thing should be normal amongst us. And fifthly, it is anointing for salvation. In this age of the Spirit, Joel foresaw something. And he said, everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's in total agreement with the promise we find in Acts 1.8. The anointing that the Spirit brings is to give us the power to be witnesses into our communities and nations. Now church history is littered with little movements who started out in God's spirit but then became sidelined, often into some sort of spiritual cul-de-sac because all they did was pass God's anointing around between themselves. Now don't hear me wrong, there's nothing wrong with blessing each other. But we mustn't lose sight of the fact that the greatest purpose of the Spirit's power is to see the lost saved. And as we continue to set our course as a missionary people, winning souls for Jesus, we can expect to see the power of the Holy Spirit amongst us increase. Why? Simply because there are too many people out there who are currently destined for hell. And we have the power to make the difference. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you have released the power of your Holy Spirit on the church today. We praise you for that. We wonder at it. But even as we sit here now, we just, Father, say, anoint this church. Anoint us as individuals with the power of your Holy Spirit. That we might be a prophetic community. That we might be building each other up. That we might see the sick healed, the dead raised the tormented released. But Father, mainly because we want to see Doncaster brought to salvation. But the glory might go to Jesus who hung on a cross and died in our place that we might talk to you today hallelujah amen we hope you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk